Hello and welcome to this GCP Short, produced in collaboration with Spring Consulting Group and really a case study on a medical stop-loss group captive that was established in 2013. We will be joined by Karen Landry, Managing Partner at Spring, Tracy Hassett, President and CEO of EdHealth, who discussed the raison d'etre, evolution and value of the group captive nearing 10 years of operation. Member-owned schools have realised a total of $125 million in savings since its inception, and over the next 15 minutes, Karen and Tracy explain how this has been achieved and expansion plans for the future. If you would like more information on EdHealth or Spring Consulting Group, then check out the links in the episode show notes or visit the globalcaptivepodcast.com website. So Tracy, when you joined us on GCP 38, it was in 2020, I think we were right in the middle of lockdowns at the time, if I remember correctly, you gave us the full background on EdHealth's formation in 2013 and, and how that came about. But it would be really useful here for, for new listeners, perhaps just to hear kind of the original context of why EdHealth exists and its raison d'etre. Thank you, Richard. It's it's great to be here. It's it's great to be past 2020. That's yeah. for sure. Um, thank you for inviting me. EdHealth got its beginning in 2008, 2009, uh, when a group of finance and HR staff from several Boston area colleges and universities got together to talk about the rising cost of healthcare costs for faculty and staff. Nationally, the Affordable Care Act was enacted in 2010. Uh, we were seeing staggering increases in healthcare and tuition. And the goal was to try and get control over both of those. So we worked with Spring Consulting to conduct a feasibility study. And as a result, we created a member-owned medical stop-loss captive, domiciled in the gold standard of Vermont. And we opened our virtual doors in 2013 with six colleges and universities. Fantastic, and it's been quite a journey since then. So what is the size and reach of the program today? Today, we are uh, made up of 25 member owners and we span five states. Fantastic. So what makes a good EdHealth member then? What are some of the, the strategies you're using to, to grow the program as well? It's a great question. And I think in so many cases, people would say uh, looking for uh, members who have good claims. And that's not necessarily what we look at. We're, we're really looking for an owner member who recognizes the need to think innovatively, to think outside the box. We're looking for member owners who see the long-term benefits of collaborating, working together, pulling our experience, pulling our resources, and uh, and institutions who aren't afraid of change. I think um, in addition to that, some of the things that I see are that you know they want the program to be transparent. So they really want something member-driven and low cost as a result, where there aren't a lot of fees added to it and so forth. Uh, you know, one of the things that Health has done well is I think included advisors, but they've kept the advisory fees outside the program, and that's 
helped uh, them them grow and help their members understand what's really driving healthcare costs. I think they all want to be actively involved in managing healthcare itself to try and keep those uh, claims down. And you mentioned obviously you started off in very much Boston focused. Is is that still the case now? Is it still very much a Massachusetts based program? We are in five states. They're all in the Northeast. Uh, we do have a national TPA partner, which allows us to grow across the entire country. That said, our, our growth strategy is is really a slow, thoughtful approach. We have, it's a very hands-on organization, very member focused, and we don't want to grow too fast and lose that high touch nature. Absolutely. So Karen, what does Ed Health's uh, business model then demonstrate to us and, and listeners about the, the unique value that a group or association capital arrangement structure can bring to organizations such as, in this case, education institutions? Yeah, I think that the model, uh, which is member-driven, really creates value for its members and it helps create that transparency. Coming together creates more predictability. That means that it lowers costs overall for things like administration. It allows them to participate in programs that are smaller institutions they might not be able to participate in, like point solutions and, and whatnot that can lead to lower cost increases. And you know, they say the proof's in the pudding. Well, the results have been fantastic. Uh, less than 4% increase when you look at other programs growing at 8% per year. I mean, that's that's really, um, you know, the final result. Uh, it's also created cohesiveness in understanding and camaraderie to evaluate not only point solutions and other things to keep the program fresh, uh, but potentially other opportunities. So, Karen touched upon the kind of some of the performance there. How, how do you measure success of the program? Is it as simple as just the the end rate each year is 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 the success or failure of the program? What does good look like for you and, and the members of Ed Health? Certainly, from the members' perspective, their first goal was looking for cost savings. And we have delivered that. We have, as Karen said, bent the trend in healthcare costs. I look at it in another way, and that's member satisfaction. And in our nine years, we have 100% retention. And we meet with our members regularly to make sure that we're delivering to them what they need and that we're meeting their strategic goals as well. So, Karen, how have you seen, you know, you've been involved with Ed Health, I think, from the beginning. How, how have you seen the mission and program evolve over time from a, from a technical standpoint? What have been some of the more innovative or, or interesting developments? Yeah, so it started out as really um, a simple exercise of looking at funding to bend the cost curve and lower costs as a captive can do at the outset. Over time, you still have that cost savings, but it wears, wears away and people want more positive results. So what we've done is, um, you know, the program's implemented solutions like, you know, a, a pharmacy coalition program to lower the rising costs of drugs, and that, that has been done successfully, produce, producing some of the savings that folks see. Um, data warehouse has been implemented to really take a look at claims across the membership, to look at population health patterns, and that has resulted in looking at some points 
solutions, solutions meant to address specific conditions like diabetes, as an example, to lower the cost of that in their uh, healthcare population. Um, in terms of lasered claims and so forth, um, the group has come together and been able to mitigate lasered claims in the group. Karen, can you clarify for me what lasered claims are? <laughs> That's a claim where in a normal stop-loss environment, the stop-loss carrier might say, we're going to cover everybody in this group except for Harry because he's had a major incident and therefore we're going to either eliminate any claims related to Harry or cap it at some level. So, you know, we weren't co won't cover the first million dollars worth of claims. We'll cover something after that. So it's a claim that's limited in some fashion, and they call it lasered. And so um, many programs laser claims. So if you've had poor experience as an employer, you go out to bid, they may say, we're not going to cover this claim in one shape or another. That's very interesting because that's uh, that, that topic of laser claims is a, is a theme that comes up quite a bit when we have other um, employee benefit program discussions, even with you know large multinationals we've had in the podcast before, they'd like to talk about how having control of the program because the captive is participating allows them to enhance the benefits or you know do invest the resources, I guess, in not being discriminatory in certain contexts. Is, is that right? isn't it? Having a captive involved just gives you that control. It, it does give you that control. And, you know, you, you see that uh, not only with medical claims, but with pharmaceutical claims, with some of the biological drugs that are coming out that are $2 million a hit. It takes a lot of study to figure out what to do about this one drug. And as a group, you can do that. When you have 30,000 plus lives, you know, you can spend that money to figure out how do you mitigate that? You know, do you buy insurance on that? Do you exclude the drug? Do you look at comparable medications? Or do you decide that you're going to include it as a cost of doing business? So you, you're able to have those discussions because you have a captive. And you're able to get the data. Often we see single employers who might not be large enough can't even get all the data that they need to manage their programs. And a captive definitely gives you that transparency, visibility, and the ability to manage those claims. Tracy, do, do members who participate in EdHealth, do they see this as almost a competitive advantage in, in, in talent as well, in terms of attracting and retaining talent because they are maybe able to offer better medical programs? Absolutely. So my, my background is in HR and uh, certainly recruiting and retaining workforce, uh, especially with the great resignation that we're seeing now is, is even more important. For the members of EdHealth, there's flexibility in creating the healthcare benefit for faculty and staff, but because of our success, the rates of the healthcare are also so much lower than some of the other colleges and universities that faculty and staff will be looking at. So it, it absolutely is playing a part in that. So what's uh, next on the agenda then for, for EdHealth, Tracy? You said obviously you're, you are looking to grow, but in a, in a kind of proportional or sensible manner. What is next on the agenda? Well, we just kicked off our strategic planning process, and it is going to be a member-driven strategic planning process. We just had our annual meeting where we brought our members together and asked what they wanted to see. And they've expressed interest in us taking our pooled resources, our transparency, and asking what else can we do? Is it 
dental? Is it vision? Is it EAP? What other things can we introduce that will help reduce claims, that will help to recruit and retain a better workforce? Well, yeah, it's a tough environment out there insurance-wise, not just in the healthcare space. Karen, that's a really interesting um, EdHealth going down that strategic review route because we. one of the questions I always ask the sing, large single-parent captives is how often do you review what you're doing? How often do you assess what you can add next? Um, is that is that a common feature of, of, of kind of member-owned group captives that do try and take a step back and look at, say, well, what, what other opportunities maybe are we missing out on? Yeah, no, it's a, a very common feature. I think, you know, once you've had success and people understand the model, you know, they naturally say, what else can we do? I mean, medical is a big cost driver in most organizations. So uh, they definitely take a look at other, you know, benefits, ancillary benefits to see whether there's something else that can be brought to bear to minimize overall costs or enhance the benefits and offer something different because schools are under pressure to minimize tuition and, you know, healthcare costs is a direct cost attributable to that left field question perhaps Tracy but it's ed health very much currently and and the, and the potential areas you might expand into are, are obviously health related as well any interest from members about exploring other lines of insurance that maybe they're, they're struggling to attain in the commercial market absolutely we're certainly hearing from our members that they're feeling squeezed uh, in other lines of coverage and uh, we are working with some schools in the area, some that are at health, some that aren't. And we uh, have just begun a feasibility study to look into some other lines of coverage in addition to the medical stop loss. Very exciting. I won't push any further on that for now. But maybe in a year or two's time, we can uh, we can catch up on that topic. I look forward to that. On, on You mentioned very much earlier on, Tracy, about good claims don't necessarily make uh, the perfect member. Uh, that's not the be-all and end-all. I guess so as the, the membership grows and the captive grows, that you do need to still ensure, obviously, good standards. And you want to encourage good risk management, good risk mitigation to not just improve the health of the captive or retain the health of the captive, but to you know, aid all the, the employees of all the different institutions which are members. How, so how do you ensure, do you have programs in place or do you help your members understand how to put the right kind of risk, risk management and risk mitigation efforts in place? We are very data focused. Um, we, we work with a data analytics group and we report out not only on the Ed Health total data analytics, but at a school level. And we work very closely with our members and their advisors to bring solutions to them to help keep their faculty and staff, making sure that they get the access that they need, making sure that they're getting the quality care that they need. And whether it's through a, a larger population health management program or some of the point solutions that Karen talked about, the claims are the most expensive part of healthcare, and it's critically important that we work with our members to manage that risk and to help them control control and reduce those costs. Yeah, I think there are a couple of other things. Not only does EdHealth involve all the members in strategic planning and have it be member-driven, so the work groups might have some oversight from some of the EdHealth staff or outside consultants, but you know, it's member-driven, it's their priorities. The other thing is, is that EdHealth once a year produces a report card, a, sc- a benchmarking scorecard to let them know, you know, what their metrics are, whether it, they've improved or not. And I think, you know, it's a very well-run program and that a member can just pull out what they did last year, look, look at one year versus the next, know, you know, why their rates are increasing or not increasing, 
what recommendations they have, you know, for their specific program, um, because although there are common administrative bases for the plans, the little um, different programs like um, a formulary or whatnot might not be common across every plan, but if somebody can use it to mitigate their costs, that's discussed, uh, you know, in a, for lack of a better word, a stewardship meeting once a year with their report card, so to speak, to help them improve their own situation, you know, going forward. Colleges and universities rely on benchmarking, and it, it is so incredibly important for us to demonstrate during that annual strategic review where they sit amongst the ed health schools in terms of the PMPM, in terms of what their overall costs are. So it, it is extremely important for the schools to know where they sit. And when they see that their claims are higher than the other 24 schools, that motivates them to want to do something different. 